everyone. My name is Michelle from The Table in Uniontown. Thanks for tuning into our podcast this week. We're happy you're here. This is the live recording from last Sunday's sermon. We hope that as you listen, you'll more deeply understand the truth of God's Word and how much He loves you. Let's jump into the Word. So our text this morning is from Psalm 90. And uh, this will be the last time I preach from the Psalms in this series. Our friend Tom Heil will be closing out the series next week. And then we will be moving into a series on the seven letters to the churches in Revelation. Uh, so that's a little spicy, right? Revelation? Come on. Uh, followed by a, a topical series on evangelism that should go about six weeks. Followed by Advent. And then the year is over, if you can believe that. So 2023, the fastest year of my life by far. Um, so Psalm 90 this morning, it'll be on the screen behind me. I'll give you a moment to get there if you need it. Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. You return mankind to the dust, saying, return, descendants of Adam. For in your sight a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by, like a few hours of the night. You end their lives, they sleep. They are like grass that grows in the morning. In the morning it sprouts and grows. By evening it withers and dries up. For we are consumed by your anger. We are terrified by your wrath. You have set our iniquities before you our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days ebb away under your wrath. We end our years like a sigh. Our lives last 70 years, or if we are strong, 80 years. Even the best of them are struggle and sorrow. Indeed, they pass quickly and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger? Your wrath matches the fear that is due you. Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. Lord, how long? Turn and have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love so that we may shout with joy and be glad all our days. Make us rejoice for as many days as you have humbled us. For as many years as we have seen adversity, let your work be seen by your servants and your splendor by their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be on us. Establish for us the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. This is the word of the Lord. Special guest psalm by your main man Moses this morning. I bet you didn't see that coming, right? A psalm of Moses, huh? So we're going to walk through Moses' psalm this morning, and we're going to recognize three things. The first is that God is a refuge. This has, been, uh, this has been a theme of the psalms, I think, in general from the beginning. It's been a theme of our series in the psalms, and I think it's the reminder that we need again and again. The second thing that we'll observe about this psalm is that life is short. And then the last thing that we'll uh, observe from this psalm is that suffering must be expected. And then we'll kind of swing back around to the beginning. 
Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world from eternity to eternity, you are God. This is Moses writing this psalm, remember. He says, you have been our refuge. Our refuge. Who, who is it that Moses is speaking of? Israel. You've been the refuge of your chosen people, God, in every generation, regardless of how they've acted, because they haven't always been great about hiding themselves in you, uh, treating you as a refuge, right? But you've still been a refuge for them. Every single generation, you've been a refuge. You've, you've always been, God, the, the only real hiding place, the only real dwelling place for human beings since before the earth was created. God, you are the right and true hiding place of the human heart. This was true for the psalmist and is emphasized to a greater extent by Jesus himself who helps us understand what a life hidden in God, a life of refuge in God can look like. In John 14, 20, he says, On that day you will know that I am in my Father, that you are in me, and that I am in you. You are in me. Your life is hidden in me. Jesus' life hidden in the Father, your life hidden in Christ. Have you, have you ever had one of those like uh, Russian nesting dolls? Anybody? Yeah, Russian nesting doll. It's like the big doll, and you like take it apart, and there's like a, a smaller one, and then you take it apart, and there's a smaller one that doesn't come apart, but the first time you do it, you try to take that one apart because you're like, is there a smaller one in there? Yeah, it, it's like that with us and God, kind of. Our life should be hidden so deeply in Christ. In John 15, 7, Jesus says it again, if you remain in me, and my words remain in you. Ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. It's this idea of abiding in Jesus, remaining in Jesus. This idea of God as a refuge, it's, it, refuge, it's in, intensified, it's expounded upon. You were always meant to hide your life in God. You were always meant to find him as your true dwelling place. You, you were meant to abide in God. Your life so intertwined with him that there was no separating the two of you. Now, sometimes we don't do this. Maybe for, for some of us, we rarely do this. Maybe, maybe you this morning have lived in a way where if you're honest, you've never lived like this. But your life is meant to be hidden in God. The God of the universe is meant to be your hiding place. When your life gets hard, when you're struggling, when you're scared, when you feel hopeless, hide yourself in Christ. But here's what I've seen in my life, and, and I'll publicly confess it right now. I, I, I try to hide in other things. When, when things are rough, I try to hide in other things. I catch myself doing it all the time. I, I have a really stressful day. You know, you just want to get the snacks out, sit in front of the game, veg out a little bit. When someone hurts me, call my wife, call one of my best friends, air my grievances about this person. When I'm scared, it's the same thing. Not all those things are bad. I love a good, a good ice cream in front of the TV with the Dodgers on. Those are good gifts from God. If you have a different team on, it might not be from God. But they aren't meant to be a refuge from the storms of life. Godly friends, a listening wife, those are gifts from God. But they can never be my heart's true hiding place. Sometimes you hide in good things. Sometimes it's less good things. There's a laundry list of other balms people have found for their wounds. 
drugs, alcohol, hookups, retail therapy, which can be okay to an extent, can venture into greed or materialism. If only our hearts knew and believed that God was the one in whom we were to take refuge. How much more would we find solace and comfort in the midst of our troubles if we did that? Sarah Haggerty, in her book, Unseen, which I've, I've never read, honestly. It's strange how I came across this quote. Somebody posted it to their Facebook story once, and I, and I screenshot it, and I saved it to my favorites, and then I found myself going back to it over and over again, and I was like, I need to figure out where this came from. But she shares these words, and I regularly go back to them, because to me, this is the ultimate picture of what it looks like to take refuge in God. She says this, When I've been wronged, or unjustly criticized. I want to fight back. I want to grit my teeth and defend. Find justice. I want people in my circle to bend a sympathetic ear and to be on my side. But when another human being doesn't see me clearly, I get to ask God who I am. When I'm on the receiving end of judgment or mistreatment, I get to carve a space in my prayer closet where only one voice matters. When rough hands hurt what is tender within me, I get to scoot up next to the one whose hands formed me. And so in some ways, the one who mistreats me gives me a gift, the gift of collapsing into the arms of God. What happens in the secret place between God and me is out of that person's reach, making it even sweeter. Sometimes, when I'm under God's kind eye, I see that my opponent is not all that wrong and I'm not all that right. Other times, I still feel wounded and misunderstood. The real battle here isn't for a winner, for me over the other person, but to win over new places of my heart to God's gentle perspective on me. Do you want to live like that? Don't you want to run to the Father when things hurt? And if you need reason enough for God to be your refuge, there are plenty of reasons in the next nine verses. It says, you return mankind to dust. You all will die one day. From dust to dust, mankind was made from dust and and mankind returns to it. When you are at a funeral, if you've been to a funeral, there's such a, a clear opportunity for a gospel presentation because you might not be the next one to be lowered into the ground but you will be one day. Our fundamental problem is that we die. I say this a lot, and strangely enough, I've preached long enough now that I can say things like I say this a lot, but I do. Many modern types of people just say that Christianity is too focused on what happens after you die, and, and that might be true as a whole, and, and I'm not claiming to be the norm, but I often think that what happens after you die is a massive problem to get a hold of. If it's nothing, if you just cease to be, that should terrify you in its own right. And if it doesn't terrify you, I, I don't really understand you. We're not the same. And if what happens when you die is either eternal death or eternal life, then we should probably figure out the life thing because I want life, not death. Death, again, is a, a terrifying prospect. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who would believe in him should not perish. The problem is that we are going to die and apart from the saving work of Jesus, we will perish. 
that is a pretty major issue. It is a big problem. And Moses wants to talk about it in this psalm. You return mankind to the dust, saying, Return, descendants of Adam, for in your sight a thousand years is like a few hours of the night. God isn't stuck in the moment, so to speak. He, he draws near to us in our moments, though, if you can make sense of that. He's outside of this time thing. He's not, he's not beholden to the moment, but he meets us in our moments. And a thousand years are like a few hours of the night, just like the passing of yesterday. Time's really nothing to him. Peter uses this verse in Psalm, from Psalm 90 in 2 Peter 3 when he says this, talking about the day of the Lord. Dear friends, this is now the second letter I've written you. In both letters, I want to, sear up your, I want to stir up your sincere understanding by way of reminder, so that you recall the words previously spoken by the holy prophets and the command of our Lord and Savior given through the apostles. Above all, be aware of this, scoffers will come in the last days scoffing and following their own evil desires saying where is his coming that he promised ever since our ancestors fell asleep all things continue as they have been since the beginning of creation they deliberately overlook this by the word of god the heavens came into being long ago and the earth was brought about from water and through water through these the world of that time perished when it was flooded by the same word, the present heavens and earth are stored up for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will, be burnt, will burn and be dissolved. And the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Peter says, God isn't late. He's always on time. But you should just know that time doesn't feel the way to God that it feels to you. And so God's not late, but he's not impatient either. He wants no one to perish, but all to come to repentance. And so he has compassion with his timing. Moses continues, you end their lives, they sleep. They're like grass that grows in the morning, it sprouts, it grows, and by evening it withers and dries up. Our whole life is like a day that is passed to the Lord. Your life is quick, it's short. One way you can experience this is if you're a parent. I saw a post of a guy I know on Instagram the other day with his little girl on the first day of school. I think it was kindergarten. And it was just a year ago, maybe two years ago, I guess, that I was with him at Starbucks. And he said he, said he could, as a single dad, get coffee. But how long he could stay was very dependent upon how long his tiny baby could tolerate it, which I could not understand at the time as not a parent. She, she sat in a car seat beside us. As we talked, and every so often he'd give her a little one of these. You know you've done this before if you're trying to get a conversation with a kid in a car seat, right? That was a year or two ago, in my mind. No, it was five, it was five years ago. It seemed like a year or two ago, because time passes that quickly. I swear, I was in college a few years ago, but thought about it. I graduated 13 years ago. High school, 17 years ago. Time flies. The, the days are long, but the years are short, we observe. 
especially if we have kids. Your life is a vapor. It's going to be over soon. One day you're looking at the person in the casket, and then another people are looking down at you in a similar casket. Life is short. Verse 7, for we are consumed by your anger. We are terrified by your wrath. Now he's talking about Israel here. If you've read the Old Testament, you've seen their unfaithfulness to God. And of this, Moses says, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. There's no dark hiding place dark enough for your sin. There's no place to conceal it. Your days are numbered. Life is short and your sin is ever before God. This is happy stuff, huh? I know, Moses was dark, man, I tell you. Verse 9, for all our days are under your wrath. We end our years with a sigh. Our lives just kind of trail off, don't they? Our lives last 70 years. If we are strong, 80 years. Now, kind of a, a textual note here. Moses is being very optimistic. In that time period, this was beyond the average life expectancy. He didn't want to say, our lives are 30 years, 40 if you're strong. And then for the reader of the psalm to say, well, my great-grandma actually lived to be 54, just so you know. So, so he, he, he gave an unusually long sort of average lifespan. Even if you're a life expectancy outlier, he says, even, even then 70, 80 years is nothing. That is so little time. If, if, if he was writing to us, he may have said our lives are, are 90 years, 100 if you're strong. He, he's going for the high, high, high end of things. And even if you live that long life, you live 70, 80 years, the best of those years are still struggle and sorrow. You must expect struggle and sorrow. You are in for a rude awakening if you are not expecting it. The best years of your life will be littered with pain and hurt. And they pass away quickly, those years do, and we fly away. Moses then, he turns his remarks to God. He says, who understands the power of your anger? Your wrath matches the fear that is due you. Because of that, he says, teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. What does he mean, develop wisdom in our hearts? What is, what is the wise response to knowing that your sin is before God and that you will die and face God before you know it? Wisdom comes from knowing you won't live forever and from getting your sort of spiritual affairs in order. Wisdom comes in response to being confronted with your own sin and the brevity of life. And he says, Lord, how long turn and have compassion on your servants. That is the right response. That is the wise response. Life is short and the list of my own sins is long. And I can't hide them in the darkest corners of the universe because you are light and in you all my deeds come to light. So God, won't you forgive me? Won't you have compassion? God, won't you relent? That's what we call repentance, asking for compassion. You only ask for compassion for your wrongs when you realize that you're wrong. And so I think this is repentance. God, won't you forgive me? I see that you have a right to be angry with me. I've sinned against you, but won't you have compassion on me? 
And Moses doesn't say, and then we will have to find a way to suffer through serving you, I guess. No, verse 14, Moses asked God to satisfy them again with what? With his faithful love, the only thing that can satisfy the human heart. They've been looking for satisfaction everywhere else, and they haven't found it. And now he comes back to the source of joy and satisfaction, God and his love. If you just help us to, to our, just help our hearts to understand and to, and to find satisfaction in you and your love, then we would shout with joy and be glad all of our days. See, this psalm, it's a prayer about hardship and the brevity of life, largely. But there is joy to be found in it. Your best years, yes, they are still a mixed bag. Your best years are still mixed with tragedy and struggle and sorrow. And you know this. But in the midst of changing and shifting circumstances, you have two options. You have two options. One is to ride the wave of your circumstances completely. Of course, to some extent, no matter what, because you're a human be being and you feel things, you're going to do some of that. But, but that's different than only being okay when things are going well. That's one way to live, and a lot of people do live that way. And that will lead you to a tumultuous life, to say the least. The other way you can live, the other option you have, is that you can find out how to experience joy from something unchanging, which can only be God himself. And in him, you can have a steadiness of heart that even when the worst things happen to you, even as you weep, even as you grieve, there can be an accessible underlying joy and peace that no one else, that nothing else can provide. If you want a steady heart that isn't completely subject to your circumstances, you must bring it to a place of refuge in the person of Jesus. He continues with this beautifully honest prayer. Make us rejoice for as many days as you have humbled us and as many years as we've seen adversity. He's saying, God, because of our disobedience, we've experienced a lot of hardship, talking about Israel here. But would you restore us, and in your mercy, if I, could, if I could be so bold to ask, could you allow us to rejoice for as many years as you've humbled us, for as many years as we've seen adversity? Moses is saying, will you even the scales a little bit, God? We've done a lot of suffering. Can you, can you give us as much joy as we've, we've had suffering? Not that we deserve it, not that it's our right, not that it's promised, but, but would you in your goodness do that for our people, Moses said. It's a beautifully honest, bold prayer. Maybe you, this morning, you've, you've seen a lot of hurt as a result of your sin. Maybe, maybe not even God punishing you right directly from his hand, just the consequences of your own poor choices. But there's a good God in heaven who, despite your sins and your offenses against him, loves you with a steadfast and never-ending sort of love. And he's the kind of God that you can make a bold ask like Moses did. He's the kind of, uh, of God that showers good things on people who could never earn or deserve them. It's not a promise that your life will, the scales will tip and your life will come out 50-50 or better, kind of from an earthly perspective. That's, it's not guaranteed. You can ask. You can know that you're heard and you're loved, but it's not guaranteed. You, but you can know that even if your life seems mired in hard circumstances, even if it seems like you keep getting kicked while you're down, and some of you have to feel that way, even if the scales don't even out on this side of eternity, one day you will experience 
perfect justice. One day you will experience every wrong made right. You will receive the perfect, satisfying end to your story if you are in Christ. This life, if it goes well, passes quickly anyways. But also this life, if it, if it appears to be going horribly wrong for you, passes quickly. And also, the promise is God is working all things, all the good, all the bad together for your ultimate good if you're loving God. And then one day, when this life quickly passes, you'll be face to face with Jesus. No more pain, no more guilt, no more sin, no more anxiety, no more sorrow. Life is a vapor. Don't cling to life. Cling to Jesus. Lastly, the psalmist says, let your work be seen by your servants, you as in God. God, let your work be seen by your servants and your splendor by their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be on us and establish for us the work of our hands. And then he repeats, establish the work of our hands. He, Moses might be talking about the reconstruction of the temple. He might be talking about something else. But what we know is while this life is fleeting, we give ourselves to our work. And our work, it's not meaningless, but it, but it is God's blessing on our work that lets it bear fruit and bless other people. And that's how the psalm ends. That's how, that's how Psalm 90 ends. But I said at the beginning we would go through the psalm, talk about these things, that God is a refuge, which is the theme of the series. And for me, when I read through the psalms, it feels like the theme of the psalms for me. I don't know what other scholars would say, but that's what, that's what it is to me. Secondly, we talk about that life is short, and I think that is quite morbidly clear this morning. And we talk about the fact that suffering should be expected, must be expected, that if you've lived any length of time, I'm just telling you what you've already experienced, you will suffer. Then I said we'd swing back around to the beginning, and here's what I meant by that. God is a refuge, but life is short, it's full of suffering. Even in the best years, you will experience hard things. And so here is what is ultimately true of human beings. You will either hide in God or you will hide from God. You will either find God to be a refuge for your soul or you will try to take refuge from this God and everything else, maybe without even understanding that that's what you're doing. I think so much of this life Really, Christian spirituality, the Christian life, I think it's about where you run when things get hard. When you're at your darkest moments, do you run to Jesus or do you run in the opposite direction? Do you run to him or do you look everywhere else for peace and comfort and rest? I think this is the question the Psalms point me to over and over and over again as I read them. That's why I want to read them more and more. They remind me that God is our refuge. Our God is the great hiding place of our hearts, that our God is the shelter our souls have always been looking for in the storms of life, even if we never realize it. And I want that to be my last word on the psalm series. Uh, Tom will have something wiser to share next week, probably something happier to share next week, uh, I imagine. But for me, God is a refuge Run to him whenever trials and troubles and struggles and sorrows come because they will come. Whether you're 15 or 95, whether you imagine you have a lot of life in front of you 
where you're winding down, constantly, again and again, run back to Jesus. Like a young child with their dad, climb up on his lap, hide your face in his neck, cry, blubber, weep. God sees you, he hears you, he knows you, and he loves you. Netflix or your cell phone or the mall or wherever you're prone to run in your worst moments, they don't see you. They don't hear you. They don't know you. They don't care about you. They don't love you. You are just a consumer to them. But to God, you are his child, and it's never too late to take shelter in him. Michelle, you can join me up front. Maybe, maybe you've experienced sorrows and struggle recently. Maybe this week, maybe now as you sit here, maybe right now you're really just going through it. God welcomes you in this moment to put your trust in him, to run to him, to know that he's close, that that you can take shelter in him, that you can find safety in him, that he gets it. Are you anxious this morning? Jesus sweat blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows anxiety. Are you tired? He said, come to me, those who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Are you sad? Jesus has been described as the man of sorrows. He knows sadness. You feel like everyone's abandoned you. Jesus was betrayed. Are you dying? Jesus was crucified, and not only crucified, not only crucified for you, not only that, but he rose again so that if you would put your trust in him, you would not perish but would live. Life is short. 70 years, 80 if you're strong, 95 if you're superwoman, still short. But we weren't made for a final breath. We weren't made for our years to, to end like a sigh and fade out. So Jesus came to solve that issue once and for all. This Jesus, who on the night that he was betrayed, took the bread, after he broke it, gave thanks, saying, this is my body, broken for you, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and again, after giving thanks, he said, this is a new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. We take communion here every week, remembering Jesus' life, his sacrificial death for us on the cross, and then his resurrection. If he was resurrected and our life is hidden in him, won't we be resurrected too? If he conquered death, won't his people conquer with him? So this morning as we prepare for communion, this would be a great time for you to sit and think today about your mortality. It's not often that you probably do that, I bet. Life is short. Your sin is ever before God. Are you hiding in God? Are you hiding from God? Is he a refuge to you? When things go wrong, do you think, I have got to talk to God about this right away. I've got to get near him. Or is he the furthest thing from your mind? This this isn't a guilt trip this morning. This is a diagnostic for your heart and where you're at. So you can sit 
You can think about those things. You can pray about those things. You can take this moment to take refuge in God, in fact. And then whenever you're ready, you can go and you can take the bread and dip it in the cup. The communion elements are available in the, in the back on my left, gluten-free communion available in the back to my right. My friends Randy and Rachel Summers are available to pray for you. If you'd like someone to come alongside you uh, in that way, you can approach them. They'll be on either side of the room. I'm going to pray, and then you can take communion as you're ready. Father, we're thankful for our lives, but we recognize that they are short here on earth. We thank you for, for good times of, of joy happiness, laughter, but make us people who aren't surprised by times of, of weeping and, and sadness. Let us not be taken off guard by those sorts of times. And Father, when they come, let them just be an opportunity for grace to run to you, to hide our faces in your neck, to cry, to, to experience greater relational intimacy with you. We know you desire it. God, I just pray for everyone here that they would encounter you during communion, that you would be present here, that we would experience your presence and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening to our Sunday service. If you're interested in joining us in the future, you can find us at 17766 Cleveland Avenue Northwest on Sunday mornings at 10. Additionally, we host a meal every first and third Sunday after service in order to fellowship with one another. Visit aseatforyou.org for more information. We hope you'll join us next week. Go in peace.